It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to yet another podcast. I'm Lauren and this is Scott. Indeed it is. Um, as always, you can join in our conversation at uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash movies you should, on Twitter at movies you should, on the web at movies you should love.com. And as always, uh, go leave us a rating on iTunes if you happen to use iTunes, because that will help everyone involved, really. Um, anyhow, so here we are. This is Movies You Should Love. It's our podcast. And uh, what we do here is we basically sit down and we look at different movies, um, whatever our movie of the week happens to be. We're going through AFI's Top 100 right now. And uh, we kind of sit down and tear them apart and kind of really look at what makes them tick and why they're on this list and you know what makes them important or why people love them and uh, maybe why you should too. So that's what we're here for. Um, today's movie is number 80 on this AFI Top 100 list, uh, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. So uh, before that, we're going to really briefly... Scott, what have you been watching recently here? Um, well, like I was kind of saying before the podcast, Kelly and I had uh, we had watched all of season one of Game of Thrones, and then we kind of got involved with some family stuff. It was Easter last uh, last weekend, and so our viewing schedule kind of got thrown off, and so I really... Uh, I actually haven't seen any movies since last week's uh, Spartacus episode. Um, but what one the show I have been kind of catching up on in little in little bits, you know, episodes here and there, is this British show called uh, Black Books, which is just this really kind of wonderful, absurd uh, comedy that's set in a used bookstore. And I was, it was actually recommended to me because I work in a used bookstore and... Uh, a friend of mine there who actually was the one who introduced me to Doctor Who was like, you should watch the black books. It is like the British McKay, which is the <laughs> store I work in. And it's, it's really good. I mean, if you like uh, television shows like Spaced or um, the IT crowd, it's very much in that vein of like, here's three, you know, very strong main characters and really sometimes really, truly absurd stuff. And sometimes just great dialogue. It's, it's fun. It's on Netflix streaming right now. And, I have been just kind of flying through that and watching it little episodes here and there as I can catch it. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll chime in with Scott. It's just it's pretty funny. It's um very little plot to it whatsoever. It's just kind yeah. of it's just kind of like here's three people, these are kind of their personalities. Here's a random situation or very, situations and let them yeah. go. Very and, situational comedy. We, you know, kind of in that, you know, in the vein of like, you know, traditional situation comedy in this episode bernard struggles with gambling addiction you know and in this episode they both fall in love with the same girl in this episode you know it's like it's a lot of that kind of stuff but all set in this kind of um like i said secondhand bookstore one of my favorite episodes so far actually had simon Pegg in it who was in space and has a pretty good career right now he's one of my favorite british actors um he moves in next door with this huge this bookstore called goliath books <laughs> and uh, it's pretty wonderful yeah so um yeah i'm kind of in, a, in the same situation you are um i haven't really watched much of anything since this last podcast that we did um it's just been a bit really really busy week which is uh, i guess good for me because stuff has been busy but uh, not so good for our listeners um <laughs> so yeah uh probably the biggest thing of note that i have seen is um 
the the epic battle uh, episode of Community with uh, yeah. pillows versus blankets. Um, <laughs> I know that's that's uh, maybe not big to some people, but to us here. It is. It's a it's a beautiful moment. And and quite honestly, this was a fantastic episode that we saw because it's it's their ode to uh PBS documentaries. To kind of yeah. like old Ken Burns uh Civil War concept. Specifically the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Um I have to give it to them because they've done two part episodes before and some of their two part episodes, like the first episode will be great. Mm-hmm. Like the the most recent paintball episode. I thought this the first episode was actually a better setup and it was more interesting than the payoff of the second episode. To me, this was so much better than the first part. Like, the first part kind of set this whole thing up, and you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. But this was just, like, it was so good. It was so well done. Like, jokes that you would only get if you watched Ken the Ken Burns stuff, and then jokes with the characters. It was pretty fantastic. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It was, if, if you are a... Uh documentary junkie if you just like kind of that whole ken burns thing um man this is it's good stuff it's uh, Keith david as the narrator <laughs> were you in no, no. <laughs> were you in the cape yeah. no <laughs> um i love community's fascination with the cape <laughs> yeah so uh without getting too much into it it just it has some great moments um that are both hilarious if you know the show and then there's stuff that as scott said it's just it's hilarious if you know you know the documentaries that they're spoofing so uh, quality quality television right there it really um, is but that's about it i i think that kind of is what you Wraps and i up have the things we've been doing <laughs> yep um I mean, just and just so the listener doesn't uh, completely misunderstand um i know you've been busy and i actually have been too i've been really trying to put my best foot forward in writing right uh, recently and so there have been nights where i go you know what i'm not going to watch a movie i'm going to go write <laughs> you know i'm going to go and if you follow me on twitter i have like an ongoing word count of a the young adult book i'm working on and so things are happening behind the scenes but we don't always have the most interesting things to talk about because yeah exactly i've had <laughs> you know uh, specifically a couple of of uh gigs that i've been working on here so that's been keeping me busy for the last week or two so uh, i'm kind of in that same same sort of boat yeah we, we just have both been in kind of weird crunch times a little bit yeah kind of a way trying to be so. responsible with our time and enjoy things and whatnot but uh there you go indeed um so i guess that brings us to our movie for the day scott the apartment yeah directed by billy wilder came out in 1960 um and uh, stars Jack Lemmon and um, yeah, Fred McMurray and Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine, yes. I was like, ah, <laughs> name eludes me. Um, it's there at the bottom of our little document. <laughs> yes, I, was, I know it. I know it. Uh, yeah, it was fun seeing Shirley MacLaine. I'd only ever seen her. There was a movie I saw. My mom and I used to watch because we it made us laugh so much. Uh, a movie that she was in called Guarding Tess. Did you ever mm-hmm. see that? She plays a, a former first lady of the of the United States, and Nicolas Cage is like a Secret Serviceman, and it's a really funny, really well done little movie from the early '90s. I'm going to guess, but that was really my experience with Shirley MacLaine was that, and so seeing her so young, and working with Jack Lemmon, who is just a phenomenal comedic actor, um, was a, it's a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, but this came out in 1960, like I said. Uh, it won five Academy Awards. Uh, it was nominated for ten. But it won Best Motion Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, as an original screenplay, uh, Best Art Direction and Set Direction, and uh, Best Film Editing. 
Yeah, so it was... Um, I believe this was the second time that a director had won two Oscars in the same... Or it was the second time this had ever happened, that one one director won two Oscars in one night. Because I think he won for writing and he won for okay. directing. Because cool. he, co- he co-wrote. Cool. Um, yeah. So um, this was, um little tidbit before we get into it. This was also the final, the la- the most recent, other than the artist. Um, just re- more recently, was that this is the last black and white film to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, um, especially just, considering that it was intentionally black and white. You know, this was a movie in the 1960s. We had color film. We've had color film for 30 years at this point, um, and yet they went and made it black and white. Yeah, and um, I, some people might be shouting stuff about uh, Schindler's List right here, but there was color in that movie. So much so. color in that movie. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, no, no, but I mean, like the, the final, you know, the final sequence is in color, and then yeah. some people even argue, you know, because the little girl's red coat was in mm-hmm. color, the candle flames were in color. It it could count. I could see it going either way, but yes, for a full, completely black and white film, it was this movie, and then there's nothing until the artist last year. Yeah, so uh, just little minor uh, trivia tidbit there. Um, But yeah, uh, why don't we just say a little bit uh, for the people who haven't actually seen the movie yet, which shame on you, you should go watch it, I think, um, because that's kind of the point of what we're doing here. Go watch all the movies we're talking about, Mm -hmm. because one way or the other it will be interesting, because then you'll know what we're talking about. Um, But what was this movie about, Scott? What happened? Uh, Basically, Jack Levin plays a, a... a man who's working his way up through a uh, insurance company, and while he's a good worker, what really seems to be really tipping the scales in his uh, ascension through this company is the fact that he owns or leases an apartment um, in downtown Manhattan, I believe it is, um, and the the higher ups enjoy using his apartment for their uh, sordid love affairs, basically. They they have worked out a schedule in which they will basically use his apartment every night uh, during the week after taking taking their mistress or their girlfriend or whoever out for a wild night, you know, eating and drinking and dancing, and then they'll retire to his apartment, wackiness ensues, and then they... Uh, <laughs> wackiness is what always ends... <laughs> States, right it's wackiness wackiness yes <laughs> um and then you know and so there's so he's kind of he's and at the beginning of this uh movie you can kind of tell that he's become frustrated with this whole thing at one time it seemed like it might have been a fun thing but he is now at the beginning of the of this movie he is actually uh spending the night at, in central park because his one of his bosses is using his apartment and so um it's kind of starting to wear on him and then an extra a complication takes place when he kind of starts to fall for Shirley MacLaine, who plays a uh, person who runs the elevator in their building, and he kind of wants to be able to take her back to his apartment just because it's his apartment, but those bosses are using it, and then one of the bosses might be taking her back to that apartment. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it kind of gets... It's you know, It has elements of kind of that classic screwball comedy kind of thing, but like that stage play thing where yeah. it you know, these layers of, of you know, people it's, doing all other things and showing up at inopportune times. And right. stuff. It, it definitely has those those sorts of comedic beats to it. Yeah. Um, which is a lot of 
fun. And speaking and, of stage play, this actually, uh, Neil Simon took this screenplay and adapted it for stage and made the Broadway musical Promises Promises out of it, which was one of the longest running musicals. And while you might not know the name, um, you know the music from it because uh, you've probably heard I Will Never Fall in Love Again, which was from that, at all, as well as I Say a Little Prayer for You. Both of those songs came from that, which came from this movie. Not in the movie, but it's kind of cool to see how this movie has had an extra life somewhere else as well. Yeah, so this this movie was definitely it, it kind of a major point in popular culture. It uh, you know obviously it spawned the the show you were just talking about, and it won Academy Awards, and it did really really well when it was released in theaters. Uh, audiences really responded to it, and um, you know I think a lot of that has to do with Billy Wilder being at the helm of this movie mm-hmm. because. This movie is really a. I mean, when you look at it in its in its time frame, it's very much, um, kind of a very cutting edge sort of movie. It's got very interesting mm-hmm. topics that it's dealing with, which is stuff that you really couldn't deal with at that point because of things like the production code and everything. That's yeah, I was actually surprised with some of the content that was in this. I mean, it's it's a pretty tame movie. I mean, it's a movie I, I think you could watch and if, if your child walks through the room, you're not going to be worried. Mm-hmm. Um, but they deal with some pretty heavy stuff in this yeah. for being such a light film. Yeah, I mean, you've got themes of adultery and sex and suicide, suicide. which is yeah. all pretty, you know, heavy kind of stuff for 1960. Mm-hmm. Um yeah it's just it's very interesting and it's it's interesting because of the way it is it is made i think specifically for the production code of the time um because you know there's stuff like uh you can't show adultery as a positive concept and i I don't think you could argue that this movie does that in any way shape or form um but at the same time it is the entire theme of the movie and there's kind of this certain level of like nobody really stops to question the morality of it for the most right. part which is a very interesting thing for a movie right. to do as well yeah, yeah. nobody's really condemned for what they're doing nobody is even looked down upon for what they're doing but it's just how it kind of affects one person right. like, or, like or the one... adultery does become a complicating factor in that character's life and we mm-hmm. can see where that person isn't happy mm-hmm. and you could you know and I'm sure they could argue with the production code well they're clearly not happy because they're not in a committed relationship mm-hmm. as they should be, as we can all agree, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and then again, you have stuff like sex that is dealt with in this movie, right. which is very interesting because there's never any shown. But you'll get something like um, just Jack Lemon walking outside on the street, and there's a light on in his mm-hmm. uh, apartment, and um, you know. And then you might cut later to the couple that had been there, like you know he's out making drinks for them or something and and the right. lady comes out and she's like adjusting adjusting a strap on her dress or something it's or, clearly just happened yeah you know looking then, for her shoes or and something you have the like recurring that. joke of uh the next door neighbor who could hear them mm-hmm. and as soon as they they're, they're at it again you know so they're clearly things are going on you know mm-hmm. and that and everybody and that's the that's the interesting thing about the way that's done in this film is that um it's not like nudge nudge wink wink. It all feels very, like oh yeah, that that's it's a very natural feeling. It's very real feeling without them actually explicitly showing or saying anything. Yeah, you don't really even think about it. You just go oh well, clearly they're having sex. Okay. Yeah, it's it's the kind of movie where like they um, you don't uh, if you added sex scenes to it, it would not change a single thing that was happening in this movie from your right. understanding as an audience, which is just a very fascinating 
um, element of storytelling in this, mm-hmm. that it's um, it's very clever at the way that it gets at things, which I think was one of uh, Billy Wilder's geniuses. That, you know, he was very he was very much a craftsman of film, yeah. And so there is that level of this that's just very well thought through in the way it presents the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on top of that, this this story is a really hard story to classify because it it's is. because it's a comedy. And it's a drama, and it's a romantic comedy slash drama, all kind of tied together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little too farcical just to label it as a drama, but it's not terribly funny. It's one of those things where I kind of went into it knowing it was Jack Lemmon, and once I heard it was Billy Wilder, I went, oh, this is going to be hilarious. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It has its moments, and Jack Lemmon is terribly charismatic. I mean, you just he's a fantastic performer. He's a really solid entertainer. Um, but it doesn't, you know, the scenes aren't constructed in a way to be a joke, you know. And mm-hmm. what happens, if anything happens in this, in trying to compare it to a, a more contemporary comedy, is you do have a building of situations, you know, a building of complicating factors that ends up bubbling over into comedy sometimes or building up into like a really frustrating thing. But even the way they deal with that frustration is in a kind of a light sort of way. And so it's almost as if they took drama and tried to make it more easily digestible, but they didn't make it more easily digestible by throwing actual laughs into it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of the humor. I mean, there there is legitimately funny oh, stuff written oh, into the script. I laughed, I laughed out loud a couple yeah. times, but, but I think, it's just it's not a comedy comedy. Yeah, it's. I think so much of the humor comes from the character. Yeah. Uh, especially Jack Lemmon. I think it's kind of the business he does on the screen, or just kind of Absolutely. the way he, he handles the situations. His character comedy, is funny. Yeah. Honestly, I went through this movie with, uh, with a smile on my face through most mm-hmm. of it, because it, it's a very engaging, very relatable movie. And they, the comedy is sometimes a little bit more subtle. Like when the first night he's back in his apartment and he sits down to watch a movie, and they're like, and next up, and they start announcing every actor that's in this upcoming movie, and you can kind of see him responding like excitedly at the mention of every name, like, oh, this is going to be a good movie. Oh, oh, now a word from our sponsor. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he turns the channel so he doesn't have to watch the commercial. And then he comes back and the commercial's over. And he's like, now, time for the movie. After another word from our sponsor. Friends, <laughs> <You know? laughs> are your dentures wobbly? <laughs> yes. No, I, so, like, the, like, it's, like, it's little bits like that which made me laugh, but it's not necessarily... The, the, the kind of the contemporary understanding of a comedy. Yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah. At, at the same time, it it doesn't feel specifically dated in its humor or anything it like doesn't. that. It's it's very um, universal. I would say, kind of the the humor that is in it, and I think that's one of the really great things about this movie. Because since this movie, there have been lots and lots and lots of movies about adultery, and there have been lots and lots and lots of movies about suicide and lots and lots about sex, and some of them have had all three of those things in them. But this movie, because of the way it's made, it handles heavy themes kind of with a lightheartedness, mm-hmm. and it handles the lightheartedness of life with a kind of a weight to it. Um, yep. So it kind of has this interesting balance of, of both things that actually feels both... I think continuously relevant because I think it, it really captures the way that life is to most people. There's never life is very rarely any one thing, mm-hmm. and so I think this movie kind of captures those elements. Um, and because Billy Wilder was such a craftsman, I mean, even the way he shot it, he shot it 
intentionally in black and white in cinemascope so i mean it's it's you know the widescreen format which was not every movie in 1960 this was you know kind of a deal that it was you know this widescreen thing um but he uses that to, to tell the story it's you know this bigger canvas that he's on so there can be more space around people so that you know there's kind of these elements of you know maybe not quite as connected with the people no, there's definitely a, an undercurrent of isolation mm-hmm. and loneliness mm-hmm. that goes through this whole movie and and even when he's showing um the the big scene i mean for him it, there's there's this famous part where he's um showing the office where jack lemon's character works and it's just like rows and rows and rows yeah. of people you know we'd come we compare it to like a cubicle farm today and it's it's kind of that concept back then oh and y- y- go ahead finish yeah and i was just gonna say and, and you know billy wilder is like this is our chariot scene you know this yeah. is kind of his his rallying cry because it's his big effect shot of the movie and his big right you know um but he's using he's using all of that space to really kind of show how isolated Jack Lemmon is in all, in all of this. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very, even though Jack Lemmon at that same time is maybe doing some funny things at his desk. Right. So it kind of has these layers of that. And then it's shot in black and white, which it's a holiday movie. It takes place over Christmas and new years. And so this is a time of year that could be really bright and happy and stuff. But at the same time, putting the black and white in there just kind of wipes all of that away. You don't really pay any attention yeah. to the fact that it's the holidays. It just happens to be Christmas. It's, you know, so it's even the color of the movie or lack of color of the movie is a storytelling device. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's, it's uh, all of those things are, are pretty uh, fascinated, fascinating pieces of this. As a slight tangential, uh, comment i was also going to make watching it with kelly my wife works in insurance and so it was actually kind of fun to watch it with her and she was kind of commenting on how uh the building she works in is still startlingly similar Mm. it's like like while they have cubicles now instead of just rows and rows of desks she goes oh wow i can still see some of that it's like it's clear that her building was built in the 60s and they've kind of upgraded it you know Mm-hmm. through time and she was like so i walked in my boss's office and while they don't have that drawer thing that that, that he has that paneling is still there mm-hmm. and that's still there and so we were kind of watching it and you know there's this extra interesting little bits of uh detail that she was enjoying yeah and for anybody who works in an office building they probably have the same kind of reaction and it's kind of startling to think about how long we've been working in office buildings (laughs) (laughs) um one of the other things to throw in here is fred mcmurray who kind of gets a a thankless job in this particular film yeah um he plays the main uh jack lemon's main boss basically in this um he's kind of the big boss of the company and um ends up being kind of the uh main antagonist more or less yeah kind of creates the love triangle you know he's between him and and shirley and and litman um and this is really really interesting casting i think at this point as well because um up until this point um you know he fred mcmurray had worked on uh, double indemnity with uh billy wilder Mm -hmm. um which was a step away from from his previous work but prior to that basically he had been a disney actor um, right. You know, you probably know him maybe from the um, the first two Flubber movies, you know, the absent-minded <laughs> right. professor kind of thing, or, um, it, you know, some of those Disney kind of things. And so this was, you know, he was always kind of a, a clean-cut, you know, jolly, 
1950s Disney kind of person. Right. And um, and here he's playing this adulterous scheming. Yeah. No good for nothing guy. Yeah. <laughs> and not, no good for nothing. He's clearly a, a good businessman, but mm-hmm. yeah, but not for, he's not for his family. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's it's fascinating casting against type, if you will, in this. Mm-hmm. That really, even though out of the characters is probably one of the least fleshed out characters because he brings all of this Disney background with him. It kind of instantly gives, gives that character just a whole level of, and even if you're, even if you're not overly familiar with them, because like, I know what you, I know who you're talking about. I've seen those older movies, but I didn't make that connection in this movie necessarily. Mm-hmm. He is still very believable. You know, he, mm-hmm. as soon as you see him, he brings a, an acting you know, for lack of a better word, gravitas to his mm-hmm. role, you go, oh yeah, this guy exists. Even though you don't get to see a lot of him. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a thankless job, like I said, in this movie, but at the same time, uh, hard to underrate how much that performance needs to be good to make the rest of it work, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of one of those movies that fires on all cylinders, I would say. It's, you know... Um, I don't know, Scott. What what else do you have to say about this? I'm kind of ready to get to a verdict, but uh... I am too, honestly. Um, I think probably before I get to the verdict, I'll let you do your verdict first. But um, this is honestly my kind of favorite kind of film. This is you know that wonderful what we've kind of created that new genre that the dramedy, mm-hmm. and this is very much that. It's like they deal with some very weighty issues, but they deal with it in a very easily digestible way which means it's accessible to a very large and wide audience i can't really imagine somebody not enjoying this movie and yet through this movie you're able to kind of explore some of this stuff they you know they kind of keep it just farcical enough that you can go oh right like that would happen but it doesn't take you out of the film enough that you don't buy into it Mm -hmm. you actually they actually do start showing you consequences of this kind of situation happening and you know it's it's a you know if you like those kind of movies you know if you like the the dramedies that are coming out or those television shows whether it be TV or movies this is kind of the granddaddy to those yeah um, yeah my kind of where I, I go with this my verdict of it is I have a little story um, for this um, I remember I I don't remember exactly how but somehow when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, maybe it was coming on TV somewhere, or we were maybe going to get a movie at the video store or something. I don't know. But I just remember my dad not letting me watch it. And I don't remember how the exact conversation went. Right. But since that point, I never actually went back to watch it because <laughs> I always remembered it as that adultery movie. Kind of. You right. know what I mean? Like, there was kind of this that stigma movie to that's it. That's not like, for you to watch. Yeah, it's kind of this whole. And going back to it, I can see, you know, I don't know what age I was, but I can see maybe not wanting your kids to get yeah. some of the content in this particularly. And and I can see, you know, someone who who, you know, obviously my dad wasn't from the 60s exactly but uh you know uh for his his phases of everything but at the same time i can see how this movie would have a certain connotation to it and and even still could have that connotation to it so um you know i kind of had this thing coming into it and that said i really liked it i really enjoyed it um i'm kind of glad maybe that i waited till now to see it um because i was able to bring a lot to it and to really I think fully enjoy kind of the entire 
um, the entire experience of it. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And to kind of piggyback on that, I would say it's I thoroughly enjoyed it and would highly recommend it. It's it's definitely a, a very adult movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's a movie I don't think teenagers they might think it's okay, but it's like they deal with certain things and deal with it in a, in a way that they kind of ask you to already know some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. They ask you to kind of already have an opinion on some of these things. And so, um, yeah, you know, I can definitely see where your dad or our parents might not like it and it's, or, or might not want their children to see mm-hmm. it. But yeah, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know if my dad likes the movie or not. I've never right. talked to him about this, right. but I just know he was protecting me from it at some yeah. point. Um, and this is my 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 verdict is going to roll into my other suggestions if you like this movie also check out um but i'm going to do it in reverse in that if you like mad men i would highly recommend this movie because not only is it set in about the same time period and so you kind of get to see the the 60s as they were um but this whole storyline you know is very similar to storylines you've seen in Mad Men. Um, while they've never actually explored this particular storyline, um, I was telling my wife after we finished, I go, you know, you could really, you could have taken this, the story elements of this movie and spread it out over an entire season of Mad Men. And, you know, it, it, it dealing with one particular character who happens to own this apartment and it would fit in almost seamlessly mm-hmm. to the overall, you might, you might pull back some of the farce, but there's a certain amount of farce even in Mad Men um, that would make this, you know, very, very marriageable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, you know, it's like if you like that, check this out because this is this is kind of where Mad Men came from. It's almost approaching the time and the subjects in similar ways. Yeah, it's very interesting watching this, having watched so much Mad Men now, because it's it is almost like a missing episode in a weird way. Yeah. It's, it's shot almost exactly the same way, you know, Mad Men. Yeah. It obviously took so many of its cues from this movie. Kind of the, the way it tells a story yeah. is kind of similar to this. The The characters are very similar to these characters and, um, you know, just so much about it. Yeah, you you're commenting yeah. earlier that the Fred McMurray is, it's not too hard to imagine him as Don Draper. Yeah, you know, it's like you kind of see, you kind of go, yeah, this this is the same world, clearly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you like Mad Men, check this out, and you know, vice versa, which I'll roll into our other suggestions. If you like this movie, check out Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> um, other movies I would recommend. Uh, I love Some Like It Hot. It's the other. It's another Billy Wilder, um, Jack Lemmon film. It has Marilyn Monroe in it, and it is one of the funniest movies I have ever seen. Um, and that was actually kind of the movie I was expecting from this, so the drama was a bit of a surprise for me. Um, but it's great, and it's actually really funny because um, Billy Wilder worked with Marilyn Monroe in two other films, got really frustrated with her, and made her a big joke in this movie. There's a very uh, clear dig at her in this, which is kind of funny. Um, and then the other, a, a more contemporary kind of dramedy that deals with... Um, things in a kind of similar way but definitely more contemporary is 500 days of summer um which is a, a fun little independent film that came out with joseph gordon levitt and um zoe deschanel uh directed by mark webb who's directing the new spider-man movie and it's just a fun light drama <laughs> with some good laughs in it as well yeah um just to kind of jump in following up that uh, another kind of contemporary movie that uh, again has similar themes and kind of deals with with life in a similar way with both kind of the humor and the the pathos of it all um is up in the air which came oh, out a couple of years ago yeah it's a great movie yeah um 
you know, I would definitely put that kind of in a similar category to this. Um, so George uh, Clooney and Anna Kendrick. It's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so that's another one. A, a couple of other uh, just really, really good Billy Wilder movies. Double Indemnity I mentioned before is fantastic. Um, the Seven Year Itch is is pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's his other Marilyn Monroe, um, or one of his other Marilyn Monroes. Um, Sabrina, uh, the original, not the remake, but um, that's some pretty good stuff. And um, and then if you're interested in Jack Lemmon, um, a couple of really good movies of his to check out um the odd couple yeah. which is kind of kind of the classic jack lemon um walter matthau yes walter matthau movie that kind of got their little the relationship started yeah, exactly um and then uh there's also glengarry glen ross which i have to caveat is it's david the, mamet so it's david mamet it's it's going <laughs> R- to be an intense R- yeah highly r-rated film but this may be jack lemon at his absolute peak of acting. Yeah, um, acting-wise, it's hard to beat him in Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah, and uh, if that's not enough for you, the movie also has Al Pacino, Alec Baldwin, Ed Harris, and Alan Arkin in it. So it's kind of... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of those sorts of movies that is uh, kind of well worth your time if you can stomach it kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, and uh, for Fred McMurray, if you're a Fred McMurray fan... Um, just to kind of see some of his earlier Disney stuff, I would say you, you will have no better experience than maybe Follow Me Boys, which is uh, kind of really him at his jingoistic, happiest American <laughs> Disney self. So that's kind of, if if you want to put him into perspective, check that out, I think. So there you go. That is um, The Apartment, uh, the 1960 film that we have just reviewed. Episode 20 of the podcast is over um check us out on twitter as lawrence said at the beginning also find us uh on uh facebook at movies you should uh or please join in this conversation at movies you should love.com if you have movies that you know if we're as we're talking if you're thinking about things or movies that you go oh if you guys like that check this out we would love to get your suggestions as well because uh we love movies um also check out our website and check out itunes because there's actually even though this is episode 20 there's 30 other episodes that you can listen to at this point um check them out if you like this or check out um some of our special episodes some of our we've had a couple interview episodes we've had a couple episodes where we kind of diverge away from film and talk about other things uh check us out um and then come back next week when we'll be discussing number 79 on afi's top 100 uh the wild bunch indeed we'll see you then see you then You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.